We all know that famous drawing of the Menorah made by the Rambam, right? Well, in this class, we're going to dig into the story behind that image. Where did it come from? Can we trust its accuracy? When was it discovered? Did later artists and copyists treat it as just a doodle or as something more meaningful? Let's explore these questions together and find out more about this ancient artwork and its significance. So the topic for tonight is going to be the Menorah's image. We're all familiar with the following picture. The picture of the Kneha Menorah, the branches of the Menorah in a, in a non-circular fashion, straight. And this picture comes from Lekut HaSiches, and we're all very familiar with this picture. The main thing I'd like to do tonight is to learn about the story of this picture because this picture really does have a story as a full biography of conception, adolescence, old age, afterlife, etc. So let's try to tell the story and obviously the reason we're doing it now is because we're in the Tkuf of Bein HaMetzarim and the Rebbe spoke about this topic of the shape of the Menorah. When was it? It was during Bein HaMetzarim. It was in uh, Shabbos, Parshas Matis Masay, and then the next week, Parshas Dvarim, Tov Shemem Beis. The Rebbe wanted to discuss the Indian and Hilchas Beis Abchira, and that was the selected topic for those uh, Shabbosas. So it's appropriate, obviously, to uh, do so today, as we're uh, a few days before Tisha B'Av. So the story of this image, we're going to begin by looking at what we see on the screen. Actually, we'll come here in a second. First... I want to engage in some of the texts that we have on the page and read some of the texts and then we'll come back to uh, have an understanding about the image. So we'll begin at the first text on the handout. You'll notice the Gemara Menachas Daf Chav Ches And here the Gemara Menachas is describing the shape of the Menorah and the Lashon that it, use, the Lashon that it uses is Ushnei Kanim Yoitzimi Menu two branches are coming out from the central piece of the Menorah, Echad Eilach Ve'echad Eilach, one going in to the right and one going to the left. And the Lashon of the Gemara is, V'nim Shachim Ve'oylen, they continue and go up, K'neged Goiv HaShom Menorah, until they reach the height of the central piece of the Menorah. You'll notice here that in this language, there is no indication one way or another whether the branch is going out in a diagonal way, in the way we saw in the image before, or if it's going in a semicircular way, there's no indication from the Zagumara either way. However, when we turn to Rashi, Rashi and Shmois and Parshas Truma, Rashi quotes this Gemara and adds a crucial word. If you look at text 2, you'll see that Rashi says, It's going out from the two sides. Rashi, Going out on an angle. Alachsoin is the word that is used almost always, if not always, by Chazal and by the Rishonim to refer to something that is going out on an angle. And in fact, as we'll see later, those who looked at Rashi understood Rashi to be saying that the Menorah's branches are not semicircular, but that they are straight. And he continues, Rashi then goes back to quoting from the Gemara, So literally, he's lifting the language from the Gemara, and he's just inserting that one word of Alachsa. However, when we look at the Rambam in Hilchus Beis Abchira, we notice that the Rambam sticks with the Gemara without adding that word. Look at text number three. One going in this direction, one going in the other direction. And they go up to the top of the menorah. No, just like in the Gemara, no indication whether it's semicircular or whether it is on a straight angle. The discussion now picks up in the 1600s and the 1700s. This is where we have really for the first time, a robust conversation amongst Chachme Yisrael and Gedele Yisrael about this issue. So the first person we're going to look at, his name was Rabbi Yosef Rikiti. He lived in Italy. And he wrote a sefer called Chachmas HaMishkan. At this time in general, there were a few, it looks like there was a heightened interest in Inyanim about the Beis HaMikdash during this period in time. 
the 1500s and 1600s in Italy, and there's a number of works that were written that was dedicated, dedicated to this uh, subject. And it seems that Abiyasif Yosef Rikiti is from this, uh, is from with, uh, in this uh, uh, milieu. So his book is published in the year 1676, and he writes as follows. He's quoting from the Gemara and from the Rambam, the about the branches, he says, It seems to me that what the Rambam really means to say is that the branches of the Menorah are semicircular. Why? He doesn't really explain. He just says, it seems to him that the Rambam holds they're semicircular. The Rashi Pinish However, Rashi said that they go ba'alachsa. They're straight. It seems that Rashi holds that they go, that they aren't uh, curved. And there is the Brisa of Malachas HaMishkan. This is a work from the era of the Tanoim that deals with the Mishkan and, uh, and it uses that same language of Nimshachim Va'olim without using the word Ba'alachsain. And so therefore, it almost seems what Rabbi Yosef Rikiti is saying is if you say Alachsain, then you mean then you mean straight. But if you don't say, then by definition we think you mean semicircular. Somehow it almost sounds like that lack of saying anything means semicircular. That seems to be the implication that Yosef Rikiti is saying. A few decades later, another sage from Italy, a Makobo, this time Rabbi Emmanuel Chai Riki. You may remember him. We spoke about Simpson Kipshutoi. So we spoke about him. He's the author of Mishnah Sechidim. He also wrote a sefer called Maisa Choshev. And in this sefer, he follows with Rabbi Yosef Rikiti and basically says the same thing and adds a few details. Let's see what he says inside. He says as follows. The branches go out from the central stem of the Menorah. They go up in a circular fashion. This is what he writes. Then he explains. I just wrote, I want to be clear. I added the word eagle. It's not like you have that in the Rambam or in the Gemara or anything like that. According to Rashi, it would seem that you shouldn't say they're eagle. Rambam didn't say He just says they're going up. And so therefore, it sounds like because he doesn't say alachsain, again, the default is eagle. The default, default is circular. So if he didn't say alachsain, then I, I think he means circular. And the, now he's quoting Rabbi Yosef Rikiti. That it seems to him that, that, that means they look like rainbows. And this makes sense. Why? Because in this way, they're similar to the planets. Excuse me. They're similar to the Galgalim. So when the Rambam talks about, in Hilchis Yisei when he talks about the structure of the universe, so he says that outside of our world, there is Galgalim, spheres. They're uh, see-through, opaque. Um, and you, it's the opposite. The opposite of opaque. See-through. Transparent. And in each one of the planets, is in each one of these uh, spheres has a planet, and the sphere moves, and the planet moves. So he says that each one of these lamps of the Menorah is doima to the shisha to the to the galgaliyah that carry shiva koich the seven planets shekenek damheim ha which correspond to the seven candles. So this is if you take away our world and then you take away the planets that were discovered later, in the classical model there were seven, uh, there were seven planets uh, corresponding to the seven days of the week and the Menorah is, each light of the Menorah corresponds to one. Now a Galgal in this model that the Rambam describes, the Galgal is a round sphere and the, each planet dwells within that round sphere. So if each light of the Menorah is supposed to be connected and symbolic of one of these planets, and the planets sit inside one of these spheres, it makes sense that the Menorah should therefore, the branches of the Menorah should be semicircular because then it's more similar to the, uh, to the, um, the Rikim. This is the argument that Emmanuel Chayriki says. In other words, again, they both agree. Rashi, alachsain. Alachsain means straight, like the picture of the, of the Rambam. But uh, 
That's Rashi. Whoever doesn't say it, it should be, uh, it should be semicircular. Ubefrat, that it works out well in terms of the planets. This is what they say. Now, there was a Mechaber of a Sefer in Warsaw, printed in Tafesh Lamed Gimel in 1873, called Ezra's Koyanim. It's a His name was Rabbi Yeshua Finberg. And he says, I don't understand what these rabbis are saying. They're both saying that the default is that it should be round. We need to ask ourselves, why should that be the default? In fact, if anything, the default should be the opposite. And he gives two reasons. One reason he gives is how does the Torah use the word for the branches of the Menorah? A kana. A kana. So let's take a biblical concordance and let's look anytime the word kana appears in the Torah. What is this? So for example, in Parshas Miketz, it talks about a kana in terms of stalks of wheat. A stalk of wheat is straight. Likewise, in Sefer Yecheskel, um, you have a kana to refer to a measuring stick. Now, measuring sticks have to be straight. Go through each example. Almost always you'll say either you can't prove one way or another. And in many, many cases you can mamish prove that a kana is something that, that's not semicircular. So therefore, he's like, if anything, the default should work the other way around. The papashas, we should assume, everyone thinks Allah then. If you have strong evidence to suggest that it's semicircular, then fine. That's the first thing he says. The other thing he says is, if you're looking for evidence from the time of the Beis HaMikdash, you don't really have much description. But one thing we do have, because it talks about in the Gemara and Rosh Hashanah, after the Chorban Beis HaMikdash, excuse me, after the story of the Chashmanoim, they didn't have a Menorah. They had to make a makeshift Menorah. How did they make the makeshift Menorah? So the Lashon is, they used Shvudin. First, they thought the Gemara had a Havamina that it's Shvudin Shal Eitz. The Maskana is, it wasn't Shvudin Shal Eitz, it was Shvudin Shal Barzel. A Shvud is like a spit. The type of thing that you would roast an animal on or something like that. A shfud always means a straight pole. So now, we're not talking about the ideal situation. We're not talking about the ideal menorah. But if you're looking for one instance when there's at vas a description of what the menorah looked like, the one time where this, they made this makeshift menorah, it says shfud. Shfud means straight. So that, if anything, should tip the scales... They're saying that we should assume that these branches are straight. So he's like, I don't understand why Rabbi Yosef Rikiti and Emmanuel Chayriki, living 100, 200 years before him, why they had this default uh, for the Rambam. Because the Rambam didn't say Alachsen, it means, yo, semi-circular. Uh, Rabbi Yeshua Finberg this doesn't think that this actually works out and doesn't make sense. And in fact, when the Rebbe eventually addressed the subject much later, in the 1980s, the Rebbe raised similar points. Look at number seven. The Rebbe wrote, First, on the argument from Rebbe Emanuel Chayriki, that because we're trying to symbolize the planets and the spheres, so therefore it needs to be round. Really? One of the seven is the central branch. The central branch is round? No. The central branch just goes up vertically. So how, how does that work out? Elamai, who cares about the symbolism of the Rikiyah? Each one is able to represent a planet and an Akiya without it looking <laughs> like in a, a circular shape. How would that work? Point number one. Point number two about Kana, here the Rebbe says a point that's very similar to what Rabbi Yeshua Finberg said in the 1870s. I don't understand the Raya. That because the Rambam didn't say Alachsain, therefore it means he holds it semicircular. How can, why? You have this term many times in Tereshavach And in many of these instances, it is, it is by definition talking about a straight uh, a straight uh, a branch. And to the contrary, though maybe there are some that are ambiguous, you're not going to have one time you're not going to have one time where kanem must mean semicircular. Maybe you will say some are unambiguous. So many times it must be straight. Never it must be semicircular. And sometimes maybe it's ambiguous. So therefore, similar to what Yeshua Finberg said, it doesn't seem like the premise that Rabbi Yosef Rikiti and Rabbi Emanuel Chai Riki were working with doesn't seem to be, doesn't seem to be correct. Okay. This is all the background that this conversation we could have had and we are having without looking at any images and without being familiar with any kisvayad, any manuscripts of the sort. But now let's bring, let's bring the manuscripts and the kisvayad into the conversation.
So you're looking now at the screen is a manuscript that's today in the Bodleian Library in Oxford. It's called the MS Huntington 117. There was a non-Jew who lived in England in the 1600s whose name was Robert Huntington. We're going to be mentioning his name a few times tonight. And he, like some of his fellow Englishmen, go to the Middle East uh, for multiple purposes. And one of the purposes they're there for is to collect manuscripts because they are interested in studying uh, the cultures that live there. Jews, Arab Arabs, Samaritans, and others. And so they're going there and they're going manuscript hunting, looking to collect things and bringing them back to England. And his collection, the Huntington Collection today, is part of the Bodleian Library in Oxford. The volume that you're looking at, the piece that you're looking at over here, is the first page of Rambam's Pirush HaMishnais. Rambam's first famous work is the Pirush HaMishnais, that he wrote a commentary on the, all of the Mishnais, written in Judeo-Arabic. And this is the first page. And the bottom, the bottom paragraph of the page on the left-hand side, in Judeo-Arabic, there's a note. The note is translated on the right-hand side of the screen in to Hebrew, where it says, this volume, and the other volumes, meaning there's multiple volumes here, So these are the original autographs, the original autographs of the Rambam's Pirush HaMishnayis. In other words, this is his master copy. Every author, when they produce a work, they have the work, the one that they wrote for themselves, this is the volume that is his. He goes on to say that it can never be sold, and you're not allowed to use it as a mashkin, and uh, it should be, the family should keep this for all generations, and whoever wants to study from it should be able to come to study from it, and uh, there's a curse for anyone who sells it. Eventually it was sold uh, to uh, Mr. Huntington. And uh, then there's a signature at the bottom. Kasaf Shleime ben David ben Avram ben Agoyen Rabbeinu Moshe. Now, the Rabbeinu Moshe is not clear in the manuscript on the bottom uh, line there. But um, it's not entirely clear what happened. It does seem that at least at a point uh, that word may have been clearer. Uh, but it's not uh, clear to us today. But it seems that we have over here is an enical from the Rambam, the Rambam has a son, Rambam Avram, who had a son named David, who had a son named Shlema, and Shlema is the one who's attesting that his ancestor, uh, the Rambam, is the one who, uh, uh, this is his uh, copy of the Mishnah Torah. This volume, in this volume, all you have is Sefer Zroim, meaning the comments on Brachis and the other Mesechtas like that. Okay, so this comes to England, and it's, sitting in a library and no one knows about it for the 1600s, the second half of the 17th century, no one knows about it. In the 18th century, no one really knows about this until we have the following. There's a, <clears throat> a, a Jew by the name of Adolf Neubayer, and he uh, uh, grew up in the uh, Austro-Hungarian Empire, and um, he eventually uh, becomes the um, a working in the library at the Bodleian Library, and he's given the task of going through all of the books and all the manuscripts that they have in this library and making a catalog. Because until then, everything's just sitting around. No one knows what's even there. And so in 1886, he publishes the catalog of the Hebrew manuscripts in the Bodleian Library, and each one has a number. And here you see number 393. He writes, Maimonides' commentary on Mishnah Zroim. He writes the owner's name. And then at the bottom, you'll see in the parentheses, he writes autograph. In other words, he's assuming that this is the autograph copy of uh, the Rambam, and uh, that's how he lists it here. And now the wider world is able to know that this type of thing exists. Doesn't mean anyone really does anything about it this early in the 1880s, but theoretically now knowledge about this uh, copy of the Mishnayis is, uh, is out in the world. Now, subsequent to that, there was a little bit, uh, and to a degree there still is a little bit of a debate, a scholarly debate about is this indeed written in the Xaviat Kodesh of the Rambam or not? And like there are some who absolutely, and I think it's the majority who say this is absolutely his handwriting and it matches up really, really well and it makes perfect sense. Rabbi Kapach, for one, is, uh, for example, uh, someone who endorses this point of view. Uh, there have been those, a few people along the way who said they're not so sure. They're not so sure. They had certain questions and comments. And there was a scholarly debate about this even before World War II. In the 1930s, they were writing about this. In the 1940s and the 1950s. I think if you look at the... Oxford, as you look at their book that they have on Judaica, the way they write it is, they write, it seems that it is, but uh, it could be that maybe it's not, but even if it's not, the Rambam for sure wrote Hagois on it. So in other words, even if it's not 
the primary text is not the Rambam's, but the Agoyis around the side was, which means either it's the Rambam's autograph copy or it's really, really close to him, it's his, and he's using it and interacting with it every day and therefore an endorsed copy. So that pretty much is, uh, is, is a debate. I don't know if that ever has been resolved and you have to really go through in details and it's a little... Uh, difficult, so I'm passing on that. For our uh, presentation, we are going to assume that this, indeed, we're going to pass in like Rabbi Kapach and the many others who say that this, indeed, is the Xavier of the Rambam. And again, as I said, it does seem that most people are comfortable with, uh, with that assumption. Okay, but all that is just Sefer Zroim of the Rambam's commentary. And now we introduce Mr. Edward Pocock, who was before uh, Huntington. And uh, similar, he's in uh, England. He goes on a mission to uh, Syria, and he comes back from Syria also with uh, manuscripts, and he publishes a book. The book that he publishes is called, called Porta Moses. Uh, this book he printed in 1655. What did he do? He took the Hakdamas. The Rambam has many interesting Hakdamas. Hakdamas to Mishnayis, Hakdamas to Saches, to Perak and Sanhedrin. That's where he formulates the 13 principles. Hakdamas to Perkeyavis, Shmaina Prakim. And many others Hakdamas. He felt that this is of value, and he produced that in Judeo-Arabic text, alongside with a Latin translation. This is what Edward Pocock did. So obviously he's very interested in the Rambam and in his works. And uh, he goes to Syria and he comes back with another volume from this set. And the volume that he comes back from this set is Kachim, which has Maseches Midois, which has the handwriting of the Rambam on the right-hand side, and a graph, which presumably is created by the Rambam as well, of what the Beis HaMikdash would have looked like a map of the Beis Hamikdash, this is known as Pokok 295. That is his. Uh, this is uh, this particular Xavier. Now let's remember: in the beginning of the first one, it said that Zroim was written by the Rambam and the other volumes. This is 100% that manual. Everyone agrees that whatever din you say on the first one, you say on the second one. There is no disagreement about that. And this is where we come to the famous image, because this is a Maseches Midas you're looking at now. But if you go to the Maseches Menachis, the Gemara, bring, the Mishnah brings up the uh, fact that you needed to have seven branches on the Menorah. And this is where the Rambam, oh, we spoke about the Menorah, so the Rambam presents the image of the Menorah alongside his text. By the way, on this spread, you're able to see an example of a Haggah that was added in later. That's on the left-hand side. This is Perek Revi of Menachas on the left-hand side. You see a deletion on the bottom left of the page, and all the way on the left, an insert instead. But on the right-hand side of the page is where we come to the image of the Rambam. This is where uh, this is where the image stems from. And obviously this is very different from the, I guess you would say, more common depiction of the Menorah in its semicircular fashion, which is most famous from the Arch of Titus. So uh, we call him Titus, he's the general who uh, is involved or is responsible for the Chorben Beis HaMikdash. And uh, about 10 years or so after the Chorben Beis HaMikdash, um, they put up an arch to memorialize the defeat of, uh, of our people at the hands of the Romans. And uh, this is the arch that they build. And inside they have the following relief, which has a scene of Jews carrying a menorah that has uh, rainbow uh, arched uh, 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 branches. And uh, this is kind of the more famous. Now, a few years ago, there was a scholar, his name is uh, Stephen Fine who did some testing on the menorah and found small, small specks of gold paint. From there he was able to determine that probably originally when this was first revealed or uh, when this was first celebrated, it was painted in gold. And so he proceeded to create an image of what he thinks it may have looked like in the original, something like this. And so here we come to the question, and that is, well, which we have on the one hand, we have the menorah as depicted here and elsewhere, where it's, in its, um, uh, where it's round. And on the other hand, we have what the Rambam uh, did in his commentary to the Mishnah, where it seems where it is straight. How are we supposed to deal with that issue? It seems that the first person to really address this that I was able to find um, was Rabbi Yosef Kapach. Rabbi Yosef Kapach is born in Yemen. And Yemen is a very important part of this story and really all stories related to the Rambam uh, because they are um, very uh, adamant about following the Rambam, Halacha uh, Lamaisa, and they're also very careful how they copy and preser preserve his texts. And so therefore you have very nice and good copies of Maron Vuchim, Sefer HaMitzvahs, 
Pirush HaMishnah Rambam, Mishnah Torah in Yemen, and many of these came to Eretz Yisrael, and Rabbi Yisrael Kapach made it his life's mission to publish these Yemenite manuscripts, which he did, and on the left-hand side is his Pirush on Meseches Menachas, meaning he took the Rambam, he retranslated it, because the old translation he didn't like, so he retranslated it, he was an expert in Arabic and in Hebrew, he retranslated it, and when he came up to this passage in Menachas, where we have the Menorah, he was working with this Pocock manuscript. He's working with the Pocock manuscript, he figures, you know what, I'm going to put a picture in. And he put this picture in his Menachas, and then he writes as follows in a footnote, go back to the handout, let's read what he says in number 9. By the way, in terms of the years, this is 1967. So he's having this conversation about this Menorah, produces his book, produces his image in 1967. Says Rabbi Kapach, They're supposed to be straight. There is no rainbowness whatsoever. Unlike the famous image that was copied from the Arch of Titus. And in fact, we already know that the arch is not to be taken seriously. Because in the Brisa we learn clearly that Benur stood on legs. And the Rambam writes both in Mishnayis and in Mishnah Torah that the, the Menorah stood on legs. But if you go back to this image, it's not standing on legs, it's standing on some sort of wide base. And there are other issues with this image that we don't have to address. He probably is addressing the fact that there are imagery of animals at the bottom of the, of the menorah. And there are other issues that were brought up by others already previously. But he's the one who brings it up in the context of saying, I don't like this. I like the Rambam's image. I like this image better. I think this is right. I think we need to go with this particular image. Okay, but at the end of the day, this was just a footnote in a book, and I wouldn't say that uh, this had a major impact on Jewish society at the time in 1967 and thereafter. But then, as I alluded to earlier, Shabbos Parshas Matis Mase Tovshin Membeis, the Rebbe said as follows: In Pirush Hamishnayis La Rambam Shebohitzas Kapach B'Meseches Menochis Yashnitzir Shalom Menorah Shetzuir B'Ksavyalish Shalom Rambam. If you go to the Kapach edition of Pirush HaMeshnayis, you will find over there the picture of the Menorah that was drawn by the Menorah. And there they are Vav-like, rather than rainbow-like. In other words, the Menorah, when you're looking from afar, it looks like a shin. Not like a, ra- a, a half a rainbow. This is what the Rebbe said in the... Um, at the Fabrengen at the time. Uh, for the, this was Matas Masai for Truma Memgimo. This Sikha was already prepared for Haga, was the Likut for Likut the Sikhas of Truma Tafshin Memgimo. And there the Rebbe says in the, in the, in the, in the Sikha, the Rebbe mentioned it, Dvarim Tafshin Membez as well, but in, I'm taking quoting here from the Likut, the Rebbe said, the entire foundation that Rabbi Emanuel Chai Riki had before and that Rabbi Yosef Rikiti had before, remember, what did they say? They said, Rashi says Alachsen, but the Rambam doesn't say Alachsen. And because the Rambam doesn't say Alachsen, so we think he's, he's round. Okay? So they're telling you what their logic, they're telling you their thinking. But now we have the Rambam. We have the Rambam and Peter Shamishnaith. Once you find that the person's, if a, if a, if a, if a Rav or a, or a Mefarish, gives a certain logic and a justification of what they're saying, and you pull out the rug from under it and you show how it's flawed, so then essentially you say, we, 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 we're going to discount what you're saying, we're not going to take that all too seriously, because in fact we see that the Rambam's image is Ba'alachsayin, and so therefore we end up having, as of now, we have Arashi Ba'alachsayin, and we have an image of the Rambam in Pirush HaMishnayis that is Ba'alachsayin. And by the way, the image in the Kutasichis is on the left-hand side, and the image from the Kapach Rambam is on the right-hand side, you'll be able to tell that it's the exact same image. In fact, it seems to me, I didn't ask, but it seems to me that they copied, literally copied from his uh, book, because they didn't have access to the Bodling Library, or 
they didn't go or they didn't think it was possible to go. Uh, and so they didn't get an original image. They, you'll see the cutoff at the top and at the bottom is in, in the exact same, is in the exact same place. Okay, now ever since uh, there has been this uh, discussion, uh, people get very passionate about this. Uh, I've seen instances in where in some cases it brings out the worst in people, unfortunately. This is one of those subjects that trigger people, um, which is unfortunate. And um, the reality is that as a result, there's a lot of blog writing and, and uh, websites and uh, articles and even books addressing this issue. And so much has been written on this, and obviously we're not going to go uh, through all of it. Uh, what I want to do is address, uh, address uh, a few particular questions. And the one, the first question that we're going to address to right now is, okay, you gave me an image from the Rambam. Does the evidence suggest that the Rambam was intentional about his image? Maybe he wasn't intentional about it. It's a valid question to ask. And, 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 um, and maybe he wasn't being intentional. And if he wasn't being intentional, then for us to start being medayic would be wrong. Uh, what's the argument to say that he wasn't being intentional? Well, the words of the Rambam himself. The words of the Rambam himself, before he produces this image, he writes about it, so we'll look at it. But as you're looking at these words, it's also a, a good argument for why we should be intentional about this Rambam. It really depends on which words within this paragraph you're going to want to stress. So let's have a look and see how the Rambam uh, uh, introduces this image. This is from the Kapach translation of, Mes of Meseches Menachis. The, uh, the Rambam writes as follows. I want to give you the full Menoida. Before I make the image, I want to tell you as follows. The goblets that the Menorah had is like a, a closed cup, a cup that does not have a gap at the top. But the bottom is narrow. Okay, so now the Rambam just described the cups of the Menorah, which here are upside down. We'll mention, we'll talk about that soon. Then you have the kaftar. So he says... It's, it's like it's circular, but it's not really circular. It's actually more oval. He says it's similar to uh, an egg's chicken. Then he says there's the flower, which is like the sprouting, uh, which is like a sprouting rose. Good. Then he says, okay, so now I describe these three features. So he says, Vani, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make the goblets just as triangles. The, uh, the, the, the kaftar, I'm going to make round. And the flower... The button I'm going to make round, and the flower I'm going to make a half a circle, like a moon. Okay? Why? Because this will just make it easier for me to make this picture. Here's the key words for some. My goal isn't here that you should know exactly how to make the goblet. I already explained to you. I want to tell you the number of the gvim, the number of the kaftorim, the number of the prachim, and where on the menorah they reside. I also want to show you where in the menorah you actually have nothing, which in the end, the end we didn't get all that much with nothing. Uh, I want to show you where you had the kaftanim and the, the prachim. And generally how this was. And here you get the image. Okay, so you'll have some people who will come along and say, well, let's look at the... Um, at the, at the words, It isn't that you should know exactly how the goblet is. Well, uh -huh. So here we can start a conversation. It isn't how you should know exactly what the goblet should look like. So it isn't really how to know other things as well. And so therefore we can say, don't worry so much about the branches. He just did it that way because it was easier or something like that. What's working against that is the fact that at the bottom, he went out of his way to make a, a semicircular base. Um, and for that, it's a pretty uh, symmetrical uh, job that he did there and shows you that he had a compass. So in other words, it's, it, to, to suggest that he didn't have the ability to make something semicircular, <coughs> that's a little different. But at the end of the day, that's what some people want to say. And, and on the other hand, you could read this text and say, he's just telling you not to get carried away with how he's making these goblets. But something as general as the first thing you see when you see this menorah is its shape. Uh, to the contrary, he's trying to tell you, I want you to know, how does he end off? I want you to know generally how this is. Well, what, what does it mean generally? 
Well, one of the things that it should mean is its overall look, which is whether it's halachsein or if it's semicircular. And so, um, obviously, uh, I, I think it makes more sense to read this text in a way in where uh, the Rambam is, is saying that he wants to be intentional about this, uh, this, sp specific, uh, this specific detail. Now what I want to show you is that there were other people who understood the Rambam in this way who thought he's being intentional. And how would I know that they thought of that way? Because, well, look how they copied the Pirish HaMishanais when they made, remember, it's before the age of printing, so they're doing their own copies. So here you have a pretty old uh, manuscript of the Pirish HaMishanais of the Rambam. It is still in Arabic. This was not translated. In other words, the people who commissioned this and read this were comfortable in, in Arabic. Indeed, it is thought that this was copied in Spain uh, sometime between, you know, in the last part of the, of the 13th uh, century when you see a library saying 1276, 1300, because they divide it in quarters. What they're doing is they're just saying, we think it's from the last quarter of the century because of the way the calligraphy or the way the paper is, whatever it is. But anyway, um, this is actually part of the Bodley collection. The Bodleian Library in Oxford is named for Mr. Bodley. He's the founder of this uh, thing, and this, this manuscript is part of his collection. And you can see over here that we have the same chapter, Menachas, the Pirush HaMishnais. On the left-hand side, you have the person making the menorah and doing it in the same way. He actually gave much more space in this particular image, uh, which allowed there to be more blank space along each one of the kanim, which the Rambam himself said he wanted to do, but didn't end up uh, uh, doing. Uh, and here, by the way, the cups are not upside down. Here they're actually uh, in the way that he actually changed. So here you have someone who is uh, brazen enough, so to speak, to change the cups, because he thinks that's a problem, but uh, the kanim are still ba'alachsoin in this particular copy. Heveyoimer, what does this mean? Here you have someone, a scribe, sometime in the 13th century, who sees what the Rambam did or sees these copies, taking that very seriously and then continuing that transmission. Here's another example. This is a Yemenite manuscript. Uh, a little later, from the 14th or 15th uh, century, same thing, Perish Mishnai is from Menachis, and uh, same idea. Uh, here the cups are. Uh, turned over, and that was preserved, but of course the alachsoin was preserved in this particular uh, manuscript as well. Uh, and so here we have Alpishnai made him Yakum Dovar, there are probably others, but these are the two that I saw, and where you see they, they took the Rambam as being intentional about this particular issue. But the Emes is that there's probably no better witness to this question than the Rambam's son. The Rambam had a son named Rabbi Avram ben Rambam, and he wrote a number of Jewish works. But one of the works that he wrote was a pirish on Chumash. And this was not known. It's quoted almost by nobody from the time that he wrote it until the 20th century. And the reason for that is it was in Aleppo, together with these other manuscripts we were talking about before that were in Aleppo. And it was purchased by Mr. Huntington. And this was one manuscript. It's not an autograph, meaning it's not assumed that this is the Ksav Yad Koydesh of Rabbi Avram ben Arambam, but it's a someone who copied uh, the Pirush. This is the only, the only manuscript left from this Pirush that exists in the world. It's Huntington 166. I guess at this point I should give a comment. You may be wondering, why are all these Maimonidean manuscripts coming out of Aleppo? Uh, this is the third one that we're uh, talking about. Two volumes of the Pirush HaMishnah and now Rabbi Avram ben Arambam's commentary. But the explanation for that is rather simple. The Rambam's uh, descendants uh, I don't remember exactly when, three, four generations after the time of the Rambam, picked up and left and moved to uh, Aleppo in Syria. And so it stands to reason that they would have taken the most important parts of their archive they would have taken with them. It's unfortunate, although it may be fortunate as well, but it is unfortunate that some of that was sold in the 17th century to non-Jews. It may be fortunate because, who knows, maybe it would not have been preserved were it not for that. But that's another story for another time. Anyway, when it comes to Parshas Truma, here we have... You, uh, you have the words of Rabbi Avram ben Arabam over here writing in Judeo-Arabic, but you could see, Kemot Surah Abimarizal, like the picture of my father. Be'asta uh, Kama'a is the Judeo-Arabic word for Ba'alachsan, um, or straight. Uh, and he says, Loi, and then he goes on to say in Judeo-Arabic, not in the way that it's done semicircular, the way other people have done it. So he here is testifying, this is not an accident. First of all, he's telling us his father made a picture of the, of the Rambam, the image of the Rambam. So we had that discussion before. Oh, is that manuscript? Is it from the Rambam? Is it not? Well, here we, the, the, idea, the, the fact that the Rambam made a Menorah, we actually have his son telling us. And the fact that it needs to be Baal Rabbi Rambam is telling us that um, 
that, uh, that indeed that's the right way to do it, unlike the others, he says, unlike the way other people are doing it. Uh, this would be an example of from the time maybe Rebbe Avram ben Arabam comes in contact something like this, because this is found in the Cairo Gnisa, it's dated to 11th, 12th century. It's something for children to learn the Aleph Beis, and on the right-hand side, there's a picture of the Menorah, one of many, 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 I'm just giving one example uh, that comes from that era where Rabbi Avram ben Arambam is writing and saying, not the way other people are making around. So here is something from his backyard that was happening around, uh, that, was happening around, that, uh, around that time. Okay, so in terms of uh, our question, uh, is the Rambam being intentional? Uh, the answer seems to be uh, yes. Uh, however, I want to show you the following. This one's a little bit of an enigma. Here you have a Xavyad that is uh, dated to the year 1312, meaning this is the Caliphate at the end of the Xavyad is saying, Nishlam Belel, hey, Parshas Vayakob Akudeh, when he finished it in the year Ayin Beis, right? So the year Ayin Beis is 1312. Okay, so he, he wrote, what is this? A Piddush Rashi. See, so it says at the top, Chasalas He finished giving you a Piddush Rashi. And here, in Parshas Truma, you have an image of the Menorah. Uh, how would you define these branches, right? <laughs> they're not straight, they're not rainbow, they're kind of somewhere in between. All right, fine. So, yeah. now, we're going to have a discussion about the images in Rashi. Remember, Rashi says there are Ba'alachsoin. And here we have this particular image. Uh, notice, by the way, the cups here are also upside down. Okay, and then there's a note at the bottom of this uh, of this uh, image. So let's have a look. Let's have a read of what this note says. So the note says as follows: This image that I'm giving you here is Rambam's Menorah. Not like Rashi. Okay. Now I didn't spend all that much time on this, but so what does that mean? He's telling you, this is Rambam's Menorah, not Rashi. So, is, he, is it because of the upside-down cups? Which, the only marker for that is the Rambam. So is that where, what he's saying? Is it because of the, the foot of the Menorah here, you'll see that Rashi says it's a teva, it's like a box at the bottom that holds up the Menorah. There, it looks more like a triangular piece. Is that what he's talking about? Maybe there's some other Machlechus, or, I don't know, maybe is he referring to... I don't, I, I, to be honest with you, I'm not entirely sure what he's referring to. But here's the thing. He's telling you that this is Rambam. But this is semicircular. It's at least somewhat semicircular. In other words, although I'm trying to be honest with you, although I was bringing before from Kisayan and manuscripts where I was showing that these copies were taking the Rambam very seriously, Balachsan, 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 here we have someone who's telling you, by the way, I'm following Rambam. And he didn't seem to take the Allah sign all too seriously, and he put it up this way. Okay, that's fine. He's entitled to his opinion. That was what he... So, yes, I did show you that a nice number took the Rambam's Allah sign very seriously. Here you have one who didn't seem, or maybe he wasn't sure, definitely didn't, wasn't married to the Rambam's Allah sign. He thought he's doing Rambam with this particular, with this particular image. Okay, and now we come to the next part. And that is what about Rashi Taka? How did the people who were writing manuscripts, how did they treat Rashi? They must have seen that Rashi said Ba'alachsoin. So when it came to drawing the Menorah, what did they do? So here, there isn't uh, so much that's Ba'alachsoin. Here is one example of a Rashi that is Ba'alachsoin. This is 1305, somewhere in Spain. Today it's in Italy, in, the, in Parma. The library in Parma has a lot of Chashva, uh, important manuscripts. And this is Parshas. Truma, and you have a picture here of the Rambam, where the Rashi says is Ba'alachsoin, and you see the image of the Menorah here, Ba'alachsoin. As far as I can tell, this is the only one uh, from a number, I checked about 10, that do Rashi, that give, imagery, that give imagery, and almost all the others, they don't care. So what does that mean? We'll talk about it in a second, but first let me show you uh, some examples. So here's an example. This is an early Xavyad from the early 1200s, uh, this is part of the Oppenheim collection at the Bodling Library. He was a rabbi in, in, in Prague and in other places. Uh, and here you see Rashi, Parshas Truma, uh, Menorah that uh, does all types of interesting uh, things, uh, including the fact that it's Chatzoy Eagle. Um, here you have a colophon of what's known as the Munich Rashi. The Munich Rashi is a very important Xavyad for Rashi because it's, relatively speaking, copied early on. 1233 as an exact date. This one is an estimate. This has an exact date, 1233. It has a scribe. 
uh, he says his name, and his name is here, we can make it bigger, I think. His name is, he's very, he's excited, he finished the work, Baruch Hashem Lo'elam, Amen V'Amen. And then he tells you, Ani Shleimah Bereb Shmuel, I'm from Würzburg, so he's played, he, now we know where he is, place in Germany. Kasafti Eli Pirushin Shal Arba in the Esra in Svarim, he's writing who he wrote it for, and it gives you the year. Arba Salaf in Shamei Satishim Mushleisha, that is the year 1233. And, um, I, I didn't study this too closely, but when it comes to the text of Rashi and what's the best text of Rashi, this uh, manuscript's always in the conversation. Um, and when you come to Parshas Truma, this is uh, the image you see on the right-hand side. It says, Nishla Maise Menoiro Pisraina, like the finished Rashi um, on terms of the meaning of the, uh, uh, the interpretation of the Menoira. And here you have a different model of Menoira where it kind of goes out and then goes upward. Not al but also not Chatzoi Eagle, a different type of model, but this doesn't look like al uh, Here's another example of a Ksav Yad from Rashi. This one's a very hectic menorah with all types of animal, animal things that are going on over here. Also on Parshas Truma, also not Ba'al uh, And the final example I'll show you of a Rashi is this one over here. Uh, I believe this is like at the end of Sefer Shemais by Yaakov Akudeh. It's I don't have this in color, it was not available, but um, you have here two images, and I'm not sure why. He, the, the author does not explain why he produced two uh, images of the Menorah, uh, and, but both of them are not al though the one on the left may be an attempt uh, at some level of being al I don't know. The bottom line is, and, so, and by the way, with this one, you see, this one is, these earlier, this is a piece of art. There's no indication here, I'm trying to teach you about what the Menorah looks like, right? Same thing even here. There's no indication here of measurements or anything. I'm not trying, you don't have any of that, okay? Here as well. There's no indication of, I'm trying to teach you something here, okay? Here on the other hand, no, yeah. Here on the other hand, you do. Look, you say, perach, gvia, perach, right? Here, the person is acting a little more like a teacher. So the reason I'm saying this is because here, for the first time, you have Rashi, it's not Baal Achzoin, and there also seems to be a teacher in the room trying to show you, yeah, this is how it works or whatever. Why am I saying this? Because basically, how do you approach this? So one thing you could say is, they looked at Rashi, they saw us at Al they touched Al Achzoin, Kameen, uh, semicircular. Okay, I personally don't think that's what happened. What happened is, Rashi said Al okay, he can say what he wants. I'm making a Menorah, and I'm making a Menorah that I'm more comfortable with, that we're more familiar with, or that I think looks nicer. <laughs> Um, and uh, in fact, we did a class last year where there was an uh, Indian in Svard about putting image, imagery of the Beis Hamikdash in the beginning of a in the beginning of a Chumash. And so, yeah, it's a nice thing just to have an image without it being there to measure or to be exact. And so, uh, yeah, you could say they think Alachzayin means on an ang- uh, a semicircular. Uh, that's not my read. My read is. They ignored Al-Aqsa and didn't pay too much attention to it and just said they want to do whatever they want to do. So I don't think, to come back to the question, so did these artists take Rashi seriously when Rashi said the word Al-Aqsa? The answer is, well, one of them did. The others, I'm not really sure. They may have just ignored him or not really cared. Okay. Now we have to continue in our journey as follows. And that is... We're talking about the Rambam, and we're talking about Pirisha Mishnayis. We're left with a little bit of a gap. And the reason is, because a person could come along and say, Pirisha Mishnayis? What's Pirisha Mishnayis? I'm Sefer Ayad. I follow what it says in Sefer Ayad. And guess what? Sefer Ayad, there's nothing. No information whatsoever. There's no picture. If you open your classic set of Mishn Torah, you will not find any picture. If you don't find any picture, so you can basically say, Maybe you could even go so far as to say, in the Madura, Kaman, Pirisha Mishnayis, the Rambam put it out in a certain way. But then he decided when it came to Mishnayis, you know what, it doesn't matter, or he doesn't know. Maybe it's this, or maybe it's that. And so he omitted the whole thing. So don't get all too passionate about what's going on in Pirisha Mishnayis. Okay. <coughs> the MS is, when you look at Kisveyad of the Rambam's Mishnayis, you find images of the Menorah. And initially, it's not going to be such good news. So here, this is called the Kaufman Mishnah Torah. This is from France, produced in the year 1296. Today it's in Hungary. And uh, along the way, there's a few pieces of art. 
Uh, some, hard to tell exactly what the meaning is. So for example, here you have a knight with an arrow, with a, with a shield, sitting on a horse, mounted horse, and a helmet. Looks like he's shooting an arrow at a beehive or something like that. I'm not entirely sure what that is. Okay, but along the way you have some of those just interesting things in art. But here you have Perek Shlishi of Hilchis Beis where the Rambam is talking about the Menorah, and you have a Chashva piece of art over here of a semicircular Menorah that is put in 1296. It's like the Rambam is not even, he, he was alive less than 100 years before. You have here this design Menorah. And this is not the only one. If you went to the Rambam exhibits, in addition to seeing the Pokach manuscript that we saw before in Pirush HaMishnayis from Meseches Menachis, you also saw this there. What's this? So this here is in JTS in New York. It's produced in Germany sometime <coughs> in the 13th or 14th centuries. Same thing. Hilchas Beis Abchira, the Rambam. And you have here a semicircular Menorah standing on three legs, which is not the way the Rambam had it at the bottom. Uh, the Rambam's model at the bottom is semicircular, and uh, standing on two uh, grotesques or two uh, animals that are merged into one, a yellow and a red. So obviously this artist isn't expecting you to take it literal, and that's something to keep in mind. But the reality is you look at these two Kisvayat and you're like, oh, we have some manuscripts here that have actually Rambam's uh, uh, Minoira uh, where it's being done not Ba'alachsoin. And by the way, there are words in these two Rambams that we don't have in the standard print. And that is, after he describes a Menorah, it says, V'zu hi tzurasa. V'zu hi tzurasa. V'zu hi tzuras ha Okay. That's not presented in the, uh, in, the act, in, in the standard editions of Rambam. So it seems like we have the words, Zuhid Surah and we have these two roundies. Okay. However, <clears throat> in addition to having those roundies, we also have manuscripts from the Rambam, Mishnah Torah, where this was produced, where it was done by al This is one example from Spain in 1460, today in the National Library in Eretz Yisrael. Um, here also it says, Zuhid Surasa. Here is, however, an important manuscript that we need to talk about. And there are a number of these that exist. And uh, first, before we read this, I want to call your attention to another passage of Rabbi Avram ben Arambam. Rabbi Avram ben Arambam writes in that same passage, if you look at number 14, Look in two places to find the perfect menorah. Look in my father's Pidash HaMishnais, but also look at the Chibur in Hilchas Beis Abchira. What are we learning here? We're learning here that if you had Rambam's master copy, of Mishnah Torah, which we do not have today. But if you had his master copy of Sefer Avodah, you would find the same image. The same image. Rabbi Avram ben Rambam is telling us it's the same image. You'll find the same image that you had in Pirish HaMeshanayis, you will have over there as well. And so when you have these manuscripts producing Menorah, these aren't artists just saying, hey, you know, we did it when we did Parshas Truma, we threw in an image, let's do it here. No. These images that are being produced and presented, this one and this one, all of these images, they're following in the footsteps of the Rambam because that's the manuscript of the Rambam. When it was issued, it had an image in it and they were uh, doing that. In fact, there are the words, Vizuhi Tsurasa, in all, all of the manuscripts of the Rambam have those words. What happened is sometimes the scribe just didn't make a picture and left it blank. But the words Zuhi Tsurasa, he left in. When the printers printed, they didn't have, they're working with a manuscript, they didn't have an image, and they weren't about to print the image anyway, so they took out those words. And that's how it was forgotten that Bechlau, the Rambam, actually had a tzir in his Mishnah Torah. was there. Now the Shiloh is, what's the original? We know what's the original from what Rabbi Avram says. Because Rabbi Avram tells us it's the same image that was here in Perish Mishnah. So we pretty much know what it was. Maybe he executed a little neater because it was a few years later. He had a little more experience. That's possible. But we know that on the central issue of the shape of the, of the Menorah, the Rambam had it there in the way of Balachsai. And so when you look at this manuscript here, this one is closer to the original than these fancy artists who these Gvirim commissioned these very chashve and lavish manuscripts, you can tell. And uh, they went to an artist and they said, okay, we're going to have fun. We're going to do something really nice and something really impressive. Um, so this, they got carried away. In a sense, they're still reflecting the Rambam in that there is an image here, but this is no longer tethered to the original source as opposed to this one. But now let's come talk about this uh, manuscript here. 
Let me just tell you the background. Um, the, after the Rebbe said his sicha, Matas Masei and Dvarim Tavshim and Beis, the Rebbe produced for Lakuta Sichas the next year, Truma, a Likut on this uh, subject. A few months, that's Truma Mem Gimel. A few months later, there was Yidin Eretz Yisrael, Rabbi Yeshua Munshain, Zechreinu Levracha, who wrote an article in the Kfar Chabad. And he wrote that he identified three manuscripts of the Mishnah Torah, Mishnah Torah, not Pirisha Mishnayis, that have it the way the Baal Achsai. And so he produces in the, in the Kfar Chabad. So this is interesting. This information was added months later into the Likud of Likud So if you look at the Sikhi, you'll see Ha'ara 11 has a star next to it. The reason it has a star, this is often the case, the Ha'ara has a star is because they didn't want to mess up all the numbers. So instead of, cha- they needed to add a new footnote a few months in, so they added 11 star. The only thing is you need to be careful about it. There are cases where sometimes they didn't want you to know which one was added in later. So what they did is, even if it was added earlier, they moved the star to a different one. Okay, so don't, you can't get too carried away and think that always one that has a star means it was added later, because sometimes they, it was smoke and mirrors. But anyway, here, this one we know was added a good few months later, Ha'ara 11. And look what uh, the Rebbe writes in this Ha'ara. Ha'ara Shuvnisparsum Ksav Yad the Sefer Ayad. Now it has become brought to our attention that there's a manuscript of Sefer Ayad. Isa says, You have the words, this is the image. And there you have both things. Number one, the cups are upside down. And Which manuscript the Rebbe is referring to here? I don't know. Rabbi Manshain produced three. But the most impressive of the three was this one. And there are others. I want to make it clear there are others. So for example, if you look, in, it is at this Rambam exhibit, so here's the catalog of the exhibit. So if you, if you go there, they have this image over here. This is a Yemenite manuscript. It's from the Hartman collection. They date it to 1596. So this is there. You see Taka Mishnah Torah and it's there by Al-Aqsan. It's a small image. This is one example. There are numerous examples of Mishnah Torah that is done by Al-Aqsan. And the common denominator of all of those is that they're Svarim Duyakim. In other words, you're able to tell that these are, uh, that these are were, were very, careful, very careful works. So in, amongst these five or six that, that uh, I've seen, and I don't know how many there are, this one I want to focus on right now. And then with this, we'll start wrapping things up. Uh, what you have over here is the Tzir of the Menorah. You see the cups are upside down. And you see it's Baal Lachsain. So it could be this is the one that the Rebbe is referring to of the three. And this is in the Mishnah, this is in the Mishnah Torah. Now I want to show you, when it comes later to describing the layout of the Beis HaMikdash, he, this, our manuscript now, we're calling it, it's Hunting 452. Huntington 452 comes from the same Robert Huntington who went to the same place and got the same manuscript. On the left-hand side is the layout of the Beis HaMikdash. This is the layout of the Beis HaMikdash on the Rambam Spiritual Mishnah, and you'll see how close these are to each other. In other words, this author uh, has, is being really careful with his work here because his Beis HaMikdash in his Mishnah Torah is, refre- is reflecting the Beis HaMikdash the way the Rambam did it in uh, Pirish HaMishnais. At the end of Sefer Avoida, we get a call of him. This is priceless information. He got these Sefer Avoida. I edited this Sefer. Let's talk about this for a second. When you go to a Sefer and you say, please write me a Rambam, that's only half the job. You then need to do the second half, and that is you need to pay a magia, or you need to be magia yourself. That is, you need to check it against the good copy to make sure that the, what you got is good, right? Similar today, when you go to a cipher and you buy tefillin, and then you'll get a computer checked as well. So, he got his essay for Avoida, Minuscha, from a certain version. Which version? Shalea, Ksav Yadoi, Shel Moireinu Verabeinu Vadoineinu, Hamayanam is Gaber. Okay, so yeah, as I said before, if you ever get uncomfortable about too many honorifics given to someone, you just come back to uh, some of these letters in the Cairo Gniza, whatever, in this example as well. Okay, two lines of honorifics for the Rambam. Moshe ben Reb, Rasha Tevis, Gimel Dalit Kuf. Sorry, excuse me, I didn't, uh, uh, I don't know what that is. Merenu Maimon. Zion Koflamid, I guess that's similar to Zecher Sadik Levracha on some level. Okay, so I copied it from the, from the following book, and this is what the book says. Huga Misifri, edited from against my copy, Vikasav Moshe Barabbe Maimon Zatzal. 
And now I'm writing, Let me explain what's going on over here because this is actually an amazing thing. This brings us back to another item on exhibit, and the Rambam exhibit is this. This is another manuscript, it's called Huntington 80. This is one of the most famous Rambam manuscripts. In a nutshell, without doing too much of an arichis, the handwriting is a professional scribe. But at the end, at the bottom left, you have the words, Here it is in bigger, This is Rambam's handwriting, it matches up very well with the Rambam's handwriting that we know from other places, including the Karognizah and elsewhere. So what happened here? What's the story? So the story in a nutshell is, as we spoke about at, at the tours at the Rambam exhibit, you have someone who commissions a Rambam. He then comes to the Rambam and says, I want to be Magia against your master copy. You have the best copy in town. I want to check one against yours. And then before he leaves, he's smart. He says, please sign the book. And the Rambam does. In the Hakdama of this volume, it says that there's an entire set of Mishnah title like this. Meaning there's an entire set of Mishnah Torah. It's not written by the Rambam's Ksavyad. It's written by a professional scribe. But the Rambam writes at the end of each one of these volumes, Hugum Isifri, that these volumes were edited against his copies. Good. There's not a scholarly debate whether it could be Rambam even eventually adopted these and started writing in his own edits into these volumes as well. We don't need to go into that. The bottom line is at the very least, this is an authorized copy, authorized by the Rambams of Hugum Isifriani Moshe Rabbi Maimu. The Hakdama of this volume says that we have it for the whole set. The reality is that today we don't have this whole set. We only have Huntington 80, which is Mada and Ava. That's it. The rest is not around. Seems that something happened to them. But we know they existed because the Hakdama said they existed. And that's what we're seeing over here now. Here, you're seeing echoes of those non-existent manuscripts. There was a manuscript just like that of Sefer Avoidah. And at the bottom, it was written by Yankel the scribe, whoever it was. It was brought to the Rambam's house. It was edited against Rambam's copy. The Rambam signed it and said, Then that, this volume is copied from that. Maybe there's one in between, but it doesn't matter. What you have over here is you have like a direct line to the Rambam's living room. That's what you have over here in this volume that has, we see, a careful plan of the Beis HaMikdash and a very careful drawing of the Menorah in this particular, in this particular way. And as a result of this, you know the rest of the story, that uh, the Rebbe then advocated that we should use this type of image as much as possible, stationary, even for Hanukkah Menorahs, uh, because look what we have. We have the Rambam, we have Rashi. Against what? Against... Rebbe Emanuel Chayriki and against the other uh, Rebbe Yosef Rikiti who didn't have all this information and have very weak arguments. I, archaeology, so really you do a whole nother session just on this. But in a nutshell, I don't have to tell you that the reality is that the way Psak works and the way the typical from a Yid works is archaeology in archaeology uh, The way we kind of work, uh, the way we kind of um, paskin in these areas is based on the Rabbanim, based on the Tzaddikim, based on the G'day who wrote what they wrote. And so when you have the Arch of Titus versus this, the Arch of Titus is not going to, or and many, and by the way, there are other coins. In fact, most of the things that you're going to find from the archaeological record before the Chorban Beis HaMikdosh, after Chorban Beis HaMikdosh, they're semi-circular minerals, let's be honest. Almost all of them, 95% of them. There are some that are Baal and that's, by the way, interesting, the fact that there are some Baal But the archaeological record is what the archaeological record is. But I think what Rabbi Kapach's point was, and I think the Rebbe's point was, is that, that we, we kind of don't, that's not how we build our lives. That's not how Yidin choose to behave. And then a year later, the Rebbe had this whole sikha about the tzitz, which without going into too much, uh, the Rebbe spoke about how we don't care about an archaeological find in Rome where one of the Tanoim said he saw the tzitz and it was written a certain way. I don't know. It's not part of the Messiah. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. Maybe there was another tzitz. Maybe who knows? We come up with a hundred different theories. We work with the Messiah. The Chacham had a Messiah that the tzitz was done differently than we're going differently. And I think that's pretty much the, uh, the attitude. Now, what was interesting is that in Tavshem and Gimel, right around during this period in time, there was a, a Hassan, Eretz Yisrael, to do a, a coin. And they wanted to put maybe a luchas or a menorah on the coin. It would be a special coin for Hanukkah. It would be an official thing. 
uh, produced by Chabad together with the Israeli government. I don't know exactly all of the details. They wrote to the Rebbe about this. The Rebbe wrote as follows, look at number 16 in the minor of the winter in Tav Shemem Gimel. Are you sure that when they make the luchis, it's going to be with flat tops, squares? If you're not sure, don't even bring up the possibility of doing the luchis. Not to get into a machloikas. You don't want to get into a machloikas. On the other hand, you can't compromise. Why can't you compromise about the luchis? Because it's contrary to the Gemara. So we can't compromise. On the other hand, we don't want to get into fights, so just take it off the agenda. The Rebbe wrote differently. He should try Try that it should be like the Rambam. Because of Yisrael, even in the Rambam's day, who disagreed, so here, you're able to give in if it's necessary. Who's the Rebbe? Who's this Yisrael Yisrael in the time of the Rambam who disagreed with the Rambam? So what happens is, there's an Evan Ezra who talks about the Menorah being circular. The issue is, and the Rebbe notes in the Kutasichas, it's very possible, and perhaps even likely, that what he was referring to was like a chandelier model. And that is, you had the central one, and then you had seven kanim around it. Not around as a full circle, but as a half circle. So a central kan here, and then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, uh, six going around in that way. Uh, and if that's the case, then he completely means something else. And the Rebbe brings in the Sikhs that it could be. But it seems that the Rebbe is here is allowing that maybe the Evan Ezra actually meant the one, the artistic uh, semicircular ones that we've been viewing. And if so, you have something to rely on. You have some daily Yisrael. And by the way, another point, it's not Hebe Chashas. That's for sure. It's not Hebe Chashas. And so therefore, there's a little more, so to speak, wiggle room when it comes to this. Now, uh, there's this book called uh, The Menorah by Professor Stephen Fine. He's the one who uh, did the, the study on the Arch of Titus that I mentioned before. Um, and look, he brings a lot of these discussions, a lot of these issues. Uh, what I felt when I was reading this book was that he wasn't giving uh, enough, taking these points that we raise today seriously enough. So for, the exa- for example, when it comes to the Rambam Spiritual Mishnais, he says it's a scribble. It's a scribble. It's a doodle, a scribble. I think he used the word a scribble. And we're not going to really work with that. Um, when it comes to Rabbi Avram ben Arambam saying about the Rambam, he says, that's interesting. But then refuses to build anything uh, uh, on that. Um, and Baal Achsain, Rashi, he says, well, maybe Baal Achsain means semicircular. So, like... I feel that although he's very passionate, I don't understand it, about the archaeology, and he likes archaeology, and the Arch of Titus is very meaningful for him, and all that, and I understand that, and I respect that, I think at the end of the day, what needs to happen over here is, like, there needs to, because I saw in other places, like, the tone needs to be a little more respectful. Like, people need to understand that from Jews take the Rambam and Rashi very, very seriously, and to just kind of laugh it off in that way, um, I I don't feel is fear to the conversation. Uh, but at the end of the day, the main uh, Nakoda you see all over here, as the Rebbe you see in this minor, doesn't want that we should be involved in Machloikas. That's why for the Luchis, take it off. And for Menoida, uh, Lenasa, it should be like the Rambam, but if need be, you can be Mavater, because the idea of us as Yidin getting along and respecting each other's positions, even if we disagree with each other, but not to laugh and not to mock each other and to try to get along, I think would be very, very a good lesson that we should take from the Menorah. Uh, there are seven branches on the Menorah. It represents seven different types of Yidin, but we're all part of one Miksha Zav, we're all part of one people, and the more we recognize that, will be better for us as individuals, will be better for us as a people. The Ebesha should help that we should see the Menorah, and then all the Sveikas and questions will go away.